rest of your life. So much for Christmas this year. So much for Christmas this year. You're gone and I'm still sitting right here wondering whatever went wrong with us, my dear. I can't find a reason for Christmas this year. Oh my gosh, I'm going to tell you what that music is in just a second. But before that, today's show is sponsored by Stamps.com. Stamps.com now offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no residential surcharges. Get a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale by going to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter our code BADCHRISTIAN. Today's show also sponsored by Policy Genius. If you have loved ones who depend on your income, Don't go into 2021 without life insurance. Go to policygenius.com and get started. You can save 50% or more by comparing quotes and start the new new year with one less thing to worry about. And this episode is brought to you by Palmetto. If you don't know what Palmetto is, let's fill them in, Toby. What is Palmetto? Well, Palmetto is the new hot band on the scene. (laughs) <laughs> Not even on the scene. Palmetto is unreleased music that belongs only oh, that's exclusive yeah. to the content house known as Emeryland. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it's members of Emory, you could say. But Palmetto is a project where that really features uh, the like intimacy and that dynamic. Uh, it's more of a, a pulled back, really intimate but intense kind of expression of stuff that doesn't quite fit into Emory and what Emory really is. So it's very, very heavy on Devin and Toby's vocals, of course, and it's got some different styles to it. And we've done, we did an EP earlier this year that Palmetto had last year that uh, Emory Land got. And now that we've done a Christmas EP that we just dropped, made and dropped, and very excited about it. That song's on it with a couple others. So that's stuff that's only exclusive to Emory Land um, at this time. So if you want to join that, It'd be a good idea for Christmas, and then we'll tell you some more about him. No, I will say this. There's something about Palmetto. I I mean, okay, so Joey and I started Joe 747, and you were in uh, Simply Wayne's, later to be named Satchel, local bands out of Winthrop University where we all met. I believe that I I believe that uh, out, I would say, more out of, of Joe 747, Emory came became because we asked y'all to, would you play in our band, Joe 747 too, because we needed a guitar player. Devin played drums for us. I mean, we were, you know, and then out of that band, your other band, local band, was, you know, y'all decided, well, it probably didn't go anywhere, and we formed Emory. Now, Devin and I also started Palmetto, and then you started hearing it, and we were like, well, what do we do? Do we leave him out in the cold? Sad. I mean, you have emotions now, so you're sad. You can feel mm-hmm. sadness, right? You've yep. learned learned to access that in your brain, mm-hmm. and so I think that uh, it's always me saving you from yourself. <laughs> As usual, that's the pattern. I mean, in, in we college, go with the, the hot hand. How it in works. college, you know some some of your tougher relationships, and I just I pull you along. You so. saved me from my toughest relationships in college. Right after college, there was, there was a there was a, there was a couple. There was even there was even some up and downs with the one one you with now. 
I was yeah. there for it, my friend. I'm waiting on those ups. Anyway, Devin and I started Palmetto. Now your ass is in it, and you love it. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about it. it. You're smiling so much. The music's amazing. It's, it is what I hope to be doing uh, when I'm 60, because I don't know if I can jump around and headbang at 60 in Emory, but this Palmetto stuff, I, I'll take it till 70, 80 years old. Yep. I'll have Alzheimer's, and you know, with, with Alzheimer's, music clicks your memory it, it right back. It puts you right back in. Right, so I might, can I might sing, can still do that. talk often yeah. when yeah. you get advanced enough. So you yeah. got to put everything you ever wanted to say to anybody into songs, and then you'll be able to communicate with them upon that time. So you just right. got a lot more songs to write. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I hope I, I, back the worst the part about me is I can't remember a single name of a song. So you'll just have to <laughs> you just have to sing it for a second and I, I'll have it right in my head. Uh, but speaking of all these bands, the one that we are in as well, and I just said that uh, we are able to physically still do it right now is Emory. And uh, so I guess it's about a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago or something. We recorded a special and it is, I'm just going to say it. I know it sounds like I'm trying to hype it up and yes i want you to buy tickets to it uh that's going to be what january 2nd 27th i think <laughs> i guess the yeah whatever <laughs> i mean it's the most important <laughs> thing i've probably ever done it's whatever it's like january when the actual shows happen but i think you might can can they buy tickets now i don't know you know i'm yes. not good at this yes yes so they can't can anyway i don't even want to talk about it. what's the site then go to <laughs> <laughs> is it emorymusic.com or emory uh i saw this hold on let me see if i can remember emory special.live i think you got is it. that right yeah all right reva's yes. giving me the thumbs up okay i ain't so bad no not so bad uh, at I all. Mean, you just doubt you doubted yourself you normally move on but you stuck with it and you pulled it right out you i was it. very close to saying emory event dot net <laughs> but it's not emory special dot live my memory is getting my my memory is getting stronger yours is getting weaker anyway so we went and filmed this and it is like i was saying I, i'm gonna sound like i'm trying to be a salesman here it's the best thing a best show i believe we've maybe ever been able to perform it it, it uh production wise sound wise lighting uh video I mean, we had th those projectors that we used. I mean, I, I, what are we, on the set of Star Wars or something? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, that it was just amazing. Cost, uh, what did they say it would cost? $24,000 yeah. or something like yeah. that? Yeah. The projector. Man. We rented it. Nothing buy yeah. it, but still. Well, just tell the truth. I think Brandon Abel had two or three of them in his basement and let us just borrow them. But, yeah, uh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Is he wealthy? I don't know. Anyway, um, so I had to fly to Seattle. You know this, but flying yeah, to I Seattle. Was, I was curious from your point of view. I, right. We could talk about the special in a promo way, but I wanted to hear your take on traveling dur during COVID. Um, That's what I'm getting ready to tell you. you. Know, doing all yeah. that, just your story from your point of view of do of doing something again in life. You know. So the airports, we had to fly to – well, first of all, you have to go, okay, is this worth it? And I'm like, well, I haven't really worked all year, and luckily we have Emory Land, which is awesome, and we've been able to make music and do that, and my wife's kept her job and got a new job, uh, and we do this podcast, but I mean, I have to increase my income at some point. I need to, you know, to pay some bills and do that stuff, so I was like, Jess and I talked about it, and we're like, okay, we think if you wear a mask, everything we read, we know you're taking a chance, but it's worth it to be in the, you know, when it's worth it to do it financially for our family and for everything. And so, um, so the, the first airport wasn't too busy. And then the next one, it was a Chicago hair was, it was not, 
mega busy. It was definitely less, but I mean, busy in terms of, of this climate we're in. <laughs> Anytime you see more than just a few people, you're like, whoa, what's happening? It's the now. busiest place you've been. Yes, 100%. So by far the busiest place I've been. Seattle was even more busy. All the, year. I mean, when we Isn't landed in Seattle, those liberals love flying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they will, they will, I mean, they will fly anywhere. They'll <laughs> tell you not to, but they, I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, what? I couldn't even hardly move past people. Off, right? They fly their asses off to help people. I know, but they're flying their asses off, spreading <laughs> stuff. I don't, hopefully joy. Hopefully all the liberals on the left in Seattle are spreading joy, not other stuff that you could spread. You know, that they tell you to not spread. Anyway, but so I was a little nervous on the plane, but Devin and I got to, the, the, the flight wasn't too crowded. There were people across the aisle, but Devin and I got to sit on an aisle with nobody in between us. And so the flying really wasn't too bad. I did, it seems like the amount that people are flying, you would, would see it worse, but I guess numbers are getting worse, so you maybe you could attribute it to it, but I haven't seen clear data on the planes yet. But they say the ventilation system's great, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's totally true or not. You the got pl- a take plane, on that? The plane stats themselves are, are good to go like that, that it seems like they have like risk. contact tracing or something to, just the to amount of, of of cases there and they have no, they're not having problems with the workers and things right like that. oh, it's that's been, true it's stable and they do yeah. super high volume so you would not like the volume is extremely high so there's great data on it and you would right. hear a lot about it if it were problematic right the, well they that, that data is not being suppressed by anyone you know what i'm right. saying the fact right. that you don't hear about it means it doesn't say anything shocking um the one thing, though, they didn't do beverage service. So when you walk on, they have a little uh, plastic baggie with a Biscoff cookie. And oh, a, awesome. Don't cut that a, out. I, I know. So and, the, and a little tiny bottle of water and then a hand sanitizing wipe. But I was so mad, too, because I was doing BC69, and I couldn't even eat the cookie. So from <laughs> O'Hare to uh, Seattle, there wasn't anything. Like It was literally you just had a little bit of water you had to drink. And I felt like I mean it was the it was a t- one of the tougher times of my was, life. That sounds rough. That was that was you don't like, want to. You had to sit there yeah. the whole time with Devin and like what'd you have to do? Just watch movies and stuff. I know. No snacks. Well, well yeah, <laughs> but no snacks. I, I mean, know, sure I there was a space in between us. Is the least full flight I've been on in years, but it, it just no snacks. So what was really funny on the way back? I I definitely got snacks. I loaded up from the shoot. I went down to the green room and grabbed a bunch of low-carb snacks, and Devin and I, man, we watched movies. Devin and I started the movie at the same time. He watched yeah, it yeah. on his phone, and we go, and I was, like, I was like, I'm at 19 seconds. And he goes, and go, and we started it, and we watched the movie together. We watched uh, Will Smith. Uh, what was that Will Smith movie? It's like a remake where there's the younger him, and he has to fight. the. They, they took his DNA and made a younger him, and it's this assassin. It Man, Devin and I, now we just uh, – <laughs> I jumped to the end after the special, and yeah, I'm talking my ass off. back to the flight home in the movie again. Shit. Yeah. I'm giving snacks, away the, the big know, one, yeah. but Devin and I were in Seattle, and so when before we got on our flight, we had a nice piece of candy, yeah. and boy, was it nice. That candy felt like it had 10 milligrams of sugar in it, or at least, or maybe 10 <laughs> milligrams of something else. I don't know, but Matt, you gave me a piece of candy. Devin and I, we ate it before uh, we went to the airport. And then I'm telling you that Will Smith movie, Devin yeah. and I, <laughs> we would look at each other. That fight scene was unbelievable, <laughs> and it was the fight scenes in this movie. What is it called? Something Man, Meteor Man. Ah, damn it, I don't know what it's called, but uh, it it's a good it's is a good movie, and the action scenes were phenomenal. Anyway, so but we had snacks too, 
So with that candy, the movie setting, the people not sitting near me, it was phenomenal. It was so fun. I didn't want that flight to end. <laughs> I didn't want to <laughs> land in Chicago O'Hare to come back. I was like, this is too good. I'm just cruising around. But anyway. And, and, then, and then all the other stuff went well. Yeah, everything else is fine. I don't really remember much about it. No, this this special is phenomenal. We're playing uh, I'm Only a Man, front to back, and then we're playing The Week's End, front to back. And I know a lot of bands are doing this. And we wanted to up it a little bit. I, we've been watching what other bands have been doing. And, I mean, I it was so much. I just Before we flew, I was really just concerned about like my bass playing, my singing, the performance, and then how could everything work together? I mean, video, lights, audio. I mean, like like you said, if one thing would have gone wrong with the the mixer, we, yeah, we'd have lost so, everything. This one little USB card or whatever it's called is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. USB card, right? If that would have SD been SD card, SD card, shit. Yeah. What what could I remember? I can't even remember what I remembered earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning of this podcast, I remembered something, yeah, and now I'm talking. You now, remembered something. Now, uh, old Toby's talking about USB cards. <laughs> anyway, if one thing would have gone wrong with that damn SD card, we'd have been yeah. really screwed. It was and high so, pressure. Yeah. It's a high yeah, pressure really thing was. to produce something. I mean, because it's produced at a higher level than any tour show, right? Which, or any show, and it's probably going to receive an audience an audience larger than any show we've ever been the headliner and sold tickets to. Yeah. You know, it seems like it will be that way because everybody in the world who we've never played before now has a chance to, we get to play for them. So, oh, also, you get to play for the first time in front of many new fans. Yeah. And so that's really, like, there's a stage fright likeness to that. Mm -hmm. And the production and the capture and the, you know, the pressure of the event, um, although no one present other than a small crew you know, it's the most pressure I've felt in years. I just yeah. love it. I just, it's like, it's like so invigorating to feel that everything matters so much, even musically, because right. it's not like it's really everything about it is captured in detail and well and up close. And it's like, oh, this is the time. This is the time when I play these songs that they have to be, have to play the best I play. It's like a fight. Like that, I've been thinking about for months or something. Like it's like fighting right. just to, to make the pay per view event. It's the same. It's that intensity. Like you have to be. It felt like training for it way more than practice yeah. for a show and right. then play another show and another show. This is trained for a situation, and you have to yeah. be prepared on the visual front and like ever all the you know. So the engagement is so high, and there's no rules like for what are what's supposed to be done in this format. Right. Yeah. There's no norms or rules yet. So some right. people are doing it this way. Some people are talking about it this way. Some people are. It's every different version of it. And so j- the people that are in that world, the directors and the people doing the audio, and all, it's a really small community of people that do the e-commerce and everybody. It's weird because you can feel it, and I'm just couldn't be more excited about it because it's like you can feel all the things that happen in a new movement at play here. There's a bunch of new people that work at single music that I knew from a, a local Seattle days. He's in Nashville now and he knows all the bands that's connected to and people are sharing information and the, how to do it and what's working. And there seems to the fan demand seems to be there. People seem to be liking and accepting this. So, but it's, it's such a small, 
amount of people that are doing the similar creative things and the guy doing the audio for this and yeah. sharing the way they did that with this, that you can feel it and it's all just real positive and emerging and there's no right or wrongs yet and everybody just gets to figure stuff out together and make new norms. Like you can feel it happening and that is just it's so it's such a frontier now you get to try stuff which means you can really look stupid so you have to really try hard and so that that's just that that part of it is so fun um yeah i think you're I, it'll yeah. just be how it goes yeah i think you're right i think people aren't really paying attention to what are some of the new norms like this holiday season people are going to be mailing stuff more than ever before matt uh, that's that's really new. That, you I mean, know, that, it started to be I a know. real solid normal. That means right. the post office is going to be busy. You don't Very have, busy. you ain't got no time for that. And you know what? Stamps.com brings the post office to you. And now UPS shipping right to your computer. Everything's Woo. right there. Mail and ship anything from the convenience of your home or office. I do it constantly all the time with marriage supply. And we also do it with Emory shipping, BC shipping, everything. It is so great. <laughs> Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business. Seriously, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller fulfilling orders during this record-setting holiday season, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print off official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. So don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With our promo code BADCHRISTIAN, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian. That's Stamps.com. Enter Bad Christian. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Now, I will say this. uh, It was different with COVID because we took temperatures every day. People were wearing their masks. Everybody's trying to stay as far apart as they can. Um, Even on the stage, I mean, we I felt like we were kind of spread out enough, but it's still there. The idea, the underlying thing of COVID is there and you are taking a chance. And then after we just sang our hearts out and everything, I just sang beside you and you and I've been hanging out. Mm-hmm. The idea of me putting up back yeah. on a mask now and, and then having to it's lift so it weird, while I drink my non-alcoholic beer, yeah. it just didn't seem yeah. worth it. Yeah. that And it was a weird, one of those things where we doing the Emory show with our cult, culture and no drinking right. and everybody having a lot, you know, it's like, it just it reminds me all the way back of the week's end and doing those things. Right. Like remember when you first went to the studio, there yeah. was like, you have to fucking be so ready for this. Right. It was like that, you know, it was that and there nobody's drinking. There's no it was nothing. Yeah. It was just we're finishing. Yeah, when we recorded the week's end, I guess we were like even pandemic. Drinking. I mean, it just feels the stakes are so high. Yeah. It's like I just I was stressed about it and everything that's negative. I wish I could have enjoyed it more, but I I so enjoyed so far. The planning and the prep and the getting there, all of the process I enjoyed so much. Now, I'm very much trying to enjoy the review and reflection part from here to experiencing it with the fans and then the future and planning more of this type of stuff and being engaged in music production on new levels right. now. Oh, my gosh. It's just worth it, you know? It is funny, though, for folks that don't know, we did the BC69 Challenge and didn't drink for 69 days. And uh, so while we were in Seattle, we were still on the challenge. So we had to figure out how to run and exercise and read and meditate and uh, no alcohol, no sugar. It'd be funny because we stayed at this Airbnb and I'd wake up and Reva was in there reading. (laughs) 
and then plan and then you know trying to get in her reading and meditating and and I was like uh, she's like yeah I'm going to go exercise here in a minute I was like yeah I'm going now and uh, all that but it is funny thinking back to the weeks in we didn't really drink that much either like no, like we did I don't remember when we were at the studio and Eudora ever even going and buying beer I don't think no, we, we really, yeah we just didn't really even think about it it's funny and now yeah, we were, we were full too circle busy, too serious back yeah. to this but it but. Seriously, I can't reiterate enough how amazing the production of this thing is. That's why it's so great. Like, we couldn't have pulled it off. It, it, to pull this show off in a town would be so hard. It'd be nearly impossible for us. With, I mean, we built, well, I'd say we, we had a carpenter build this amazing stage where the projectors can project on the floor and the walls and everything. I mean, everything about this show is about as high quality as you can get. And then, oh, yeah, great sound. Like, we, Josh... Yeah. You know, Josh and Matt are terrific sound guys. Josh is a professional sound man. And so we had the, who knows our band inside and out. So we had the, the very best sound guy we could have because he's in the band. You know what I mean? So it's just amazing. So everything about this show is just, I, it was really crazy. It was so big and heavy. And we played the albums all the way through. We didn't take breaks and do, I mean, it was, as soon as we said action, we, this is a live show. Yeah. It's 100% It felt live. like filming a car you know, chase sequence in a movie where you got one, you get one shot yes. and here. It's all, everybody's got to be ready and you cannot screw, you know, like Can't it's going to take it 45 minutes and you got to own it. And yep. t- you know, like it, th- that, it felt very, v- really pre. It was all yeah. very, very present and like engaged. So that's why I think people are going to think it's really cool too. Cause you're going to hear the mistakes. Like, I mean, we're, we played it live. So you're going to hear yeah. the, it's, it's, you get to hear the real raw thing that you love, which is Emery. And also in a, that live setting is is there. I mean, you have it from the comfort of your own home. I mean, I well, guess it's, ter- it, it's terrifying because it is what like, of course, yeah, you can hear flaws and all that, but it's the realest it can be. It's not a show that's covered up right. or a studio record right. polished. It is the realer thing. It's the realest embodiment you can get. I know I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, and I understand. I'm not at all saying there's not something different and better and wonderful about being in a room. I mean, yeah, but not talking about that, but the documentation and capturing of the best we can do, I have to stand by and say, this is the best we can do. Yeah. It's not limited by anything. Right. This is us playing the best we can because the video quality and the audio quality is, we can't do any better than this and we can't play any better than this. Is this good? Yeah. And it is. But that's right. that's there's no way to hide. It. It's like you can hide way easier in a, a, a live show, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, you I know agree. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like when you play those live shows, you're like, okay, you work the crowd. They're here and here. They don't hear this because it's the rumble of the crowd and what. Right. There's so much that you can hide because you understand the energy of a crowd. But to get this to feel just right for us to be in the moment and then own it all the way through without feeling overly performy or Heidi or anything it's just you had to really just i don't know any, that that that's a, re, a pure art yeah. form it's the closest thing to like i think of jazz or that really expressive just being present and you be yeah. miles davis or something it's not that but it's it's closer to that i mean we even took a lot of time to go through each song for dynamics just dynamics along hey wait what if we really got quiet here what does this mean to go into this next part? And how does that lead into the next song? Because we have to go right into the next song. So, I mean, not only are we trying to play the right notes and sing well and remember all the lyrics and all that stuff, I, like there is real, uh, a, a real setting of 
like you're hearing us mold the music as we play it. It's getting softer here, and you've never heard it that way. My, it's not even on the recording. Yeah, you that can't way. play it that soft right. in front of an audience right. because they talk over yeah. it or something. So it's almost like a, you can get a living room intimacy, but that you could full like yeah. when we play the loud part of rock and roll at the beginning, that's full. I'm yeah. playing it full. That's that's the energy. Yeah, there, all the way. And there's just some cool stuff. I mean, there's just really cool video and lighting. It's just phenomenal. I mean, I just can't believe we got it that good and. Well, you know, we some thematic, dr- the, dramatic the, parts the, too. The, the sounding like we're selling it, but oh, yeah, I'm yeah, genuinely yeah. excited about it. But I want to give credit. Well, that's what I'm to... saying. I'm proud of it. I'm yeah, really yeah, proud of this. Like, I, like I told, I'm, I told my family. I said, when this comes out, we're sitting down and watching this together because this is like the thing I really worked hard on. I want you to, I want you to see it. You know, I, I mean, I worked hard on the Christmas lights last weekend, and I made them all come out and look at it and say, "What do you think?" Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I, this is more than that. Like, th- this is yeah. this is like been <laughs> yeah. culminating for a, a decade or two. Well, the week's end specifically is cool. Back to your calendar, uh, not unknowledge, but right. the week's end came out in on January the twenty seventh, two thousand four, and the week's end special comes out on January twenty seventh, twenty twenty one. Seventeen cool. years to the day. It's wow. a Wednesday night, and it's to the day of the release of the week's end. So you can put yourself back where you were then. Get yourself a good environment. Bring your old yeah. youth group friends. Get <laughs> and right. uh, and come experience that that one with us, and then I'm only a man is uh, January 9th. so right. they both have vinyls accompanying. Them but that's what the, I was going to uh, say. The vinyls are the coolest part. We just redid completely. I'm only a man, and then the vinyl you get for the week's end is the live recording. You get a live recording of the show on vinyl. Like I'm get I'm getting one of those. I want that yeah, for me. Awesome. That's just so awesome. Yeah, just to have the ability to create a product like that that now yeah. has an, a, a way to be supported is so is just such a promising thing. For I'll say business. this, and this might future. sound this might sound like a stretch. I believe this uh, special is better than being on a plane watching a Will Smith movie. Better with snacks. than that, yeah. It yeah. is. I mean, how I felt watching that movie, I feel even more talking about <laughs> this, these these specials, these two nights. Well, uh, I just want I want to say out loud that Life Thomason, who directed it, just deserves so oh, much yeah. of the credit to be able to work with somebody at such a high level at what he does. It's just uh, that we've not really had that before. He directed Under Oath's uh, Observatory videos, yep. and he came to Seattle and did this. He did a terrific job, and really, really, uh, really, really glad that that we got him. He added a whole lot. Deserves a ton of credit. Yeah, we should probably maybe have him on the pod and talk about Good idea. filming us and Under Oath and doing all this stuff. I think that'd be a pretty interesting pod. Yeah, big time to, you know, Tim, obviously, thanks a ton coming on, inspiring us with that podcast conversation. Yeah. We got right to it and collaborated with some of the same people. And, you know, I bet, you know, I've been sharing a lot of tips and secrets and ways to do things with a bunch of other people. I know there's a bunch of other bands that have specials that they're, that they're working on and coming out and have been doing. And some of them have been so great. So yeah. I've I've been really enjoying the whole scene. And I, I, I think it's a little bit of a scene to emerge and some new stuff is going to stick around. And then we'll start getting back to the old stuff too in the you know longer term future but we'll be ready with new energy when we get there too so that's all exciting um i tell you what though it is dangerous to be out living these days what and so yeah no i'm just saying there's risk involved I know. In, you're right in everything you do and 
but you got to go do it. That's why life insurance is so important. Uh, this holiday season sure knows how to lighten your wallet, you know what I mean? But for many families, December is one of the most expensive months of the year, not to mention the busiest. And if you need life insurance but don't want to deal with the hassle or expense, you got to try Policy Genius because Policy Genius combines cutting edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and money. And right now, you could save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could last more, more than a decade, those savings really add up. And here's how it works. So, first of all, you just I did this earlier this year, and it was very easy. You just head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. Now, Policy Genius will compare policies starting as little as one dollar per as at starting at as little as one dollar per day, and you might be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. Now, I did an in-person medical exam, and it was very easy. But if you could skip that, I would suggest it. Um, and the best part is that they work for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything. And that kind of service has earned them a five-star rating across 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. And I very much count myself as one of those reviewers. And I really did do this before they were a sponsor. It was just, I heard it on other podcasts. I needed life insurance. I had been putting it off. I said, well, this website, if on all this podcast, I should try it. And it just was easy. They followed up. And even the steps where I thought it was going to get technical, they actually did help with that, with that individualized email and it helped me a ton. I was very thrilled with it. So if you have loved ones who depend on your income, don't go into 2021 without life insurance. Go to policygenius.com and get started. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes and start the new year with one less thing to worry about. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Okay, Toby, do you want to introduce him to Walt? Oh, or should I? I'll let you. I'll tell you what. We both like him a lot, though. So, okay. Well, I'll tell you about Walt. Walt. First of all, Walt is Walt Shelton. It, not No relation to Devin Shelton, it doesn't seem. Yep. But Walt Shelton, he has a book called The Daily Routine of Life. Is that, is that it? Yep, that's, that's it. it. Right? The Daily Routine of Life. Now, Walt is a guy nope, that The Daily Practice is, of Life. I'm sorry, the daily practice yeah, of life, but it's about, it's about routines and disciplines and stuff like that. He's a very fascinating guy, um, probably what I would consider an outlier in the way that his mind works and how he focuses and thinks about things. And so he, he has put a lot of effort and thought into um, some of the deep ways the mind works and does in routines and stuff like that, at, like even... Uh, he spends a lot of time thinking about what Jesus' morning routine would have been, and he's a very introspective guy, and uh, I, w- we had him on recently to have a conversation with him, and Toby and I were both just really impressed with not only just reading what he had written, but the way he speaks and his delivery is just has this immediately uh, attractive and calming effect that Toby and I really enjoyed very yeah, much. He's very so peaceful and deliberate, to, which I appreciate. Yes. It just calms me down so much from feeling like i got to fill up every possible space with 10, 30, 10, 35 words. Right. That, that's how I always <laughs> must feel, yep. and I know it so clearly as soon as I talk to somebody like Walt that it's okay. Yeah, you're right. And anyway, that I, well, I think that's a fine inmate, a fascinating guy. I hope you guys enjoy uh, this conversation we have with Walt. I appreciate you having me on today very much. 
Well, we're glad to do it, running across your work and seeing what it was. It really lines up with uh, some headspace of ours lately. So I thought we thought it'd be a terrific time to have a conversation. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, so we have Walt Shelton on, which is uh, we're in a band, Walt, and our uh, one of our, our singer is named Devin Shelton. You know any of the Sheltons in South Carolina? You related? I do not. I do not. <laughs> I'm from Tyler, Texas, and... There are apparently some Sheltons in Austin where I've lived for some time now. Yeah. But uh, I'm not related to them either. So uh, there may be some some connection, but if so, I'm unaware of it. Well, it's nice to meet you. Uh, like I said before, we are, uh, I got to give you a little bit of background about who we are because Toby and I are <clears throat> come from a very different culture than you do and to a very different place that, uh, Toby and I have gotten interested in discipline and morning routines and things like that. But just recently, we spent our whole life being the opposite of those people. Um, Toby and I are class clown types that got that are slackers, punk, alternative Procrastinators. musicians, <laughs> uh, night people. I mean, and, and our older age, we've gotten up earlier. But I mean, we're you know people that stay out and perform rock concerts till and then stay up till three or four in the morning is what we did our entire twenties and a lot of our thirties. And, uh, and we built our whole, we've been successful in media and entertainment and all through the mentality of being a slacker. That's just because we didn't know any better kind of a right. thing. Um, we were uh, early on in uh, school. We grew up in the 80s in South Carolina. And, you know, it, we just weren't the, needless to say, we weren't the top of the class types. That wasn't really who we, we were in, in our in our culture and have kind of come to some of these things and are putting some of these things on. And we could talk more about it as adults into our 40s with children and uh, come into some of these realizations that you have and teach, and you've connected all the way to uh, Jesus's morning routine. And so being the Bad Christian Podcast, which is all about that slacker uh, point of view that we have, and uh, it's kind of that and a transparency thing where we work out, have worked out our faith and our belief and disbelief and just done all that kind of publicly in this kind of, uh, those type of environments. And then your stuff, you're a top of your class at Baylor University writing books and things about disciplines and spiritual disciplines. It just sounds like the farthest thing in the world. And then here we are. Uh, I'm quite interested in the topic now. So that's my preamble. Well, you it sounds like y'all have led a more exciting life than I have. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, don't know about I grew that. up in the, the 1960s in some pretty turbulent times and went to uh, uh, graduated from high school in 1974. My sophomore year, they integrated our high school. So uh, it was, uh, I escaped to the University of Texas from uh, Tyler, Texas. And it was uh, a good transition for me on, on a number of fronts. Uh, it's where I wanted to go to school. Uh, I had you know, high, high school was a rough, rough time from a racial unrest uh, standpoint uh, in my own life with my parents uh, splitting up when I was a senior, something I didn't expect. Uh, so I led kind of a quiet life as a, as a serious golfer, uh, started playing golf in the fifth grade, wanted very much to play golf in college, maybe. I knew I wasn't good enough to play beyond that, but it was important to me. Uh, 
kind of took school seriously, but uh, I didn't become a serious student educationally until I went to the University of Texas. And in, in many ways, for me, it was a coping mechanism uh, because I had an unhappy senior year uh, and that was something I, I chose to put myself into. Mm-hmm. So that makes you sense. more about my background. Well, it's fascinating that maybe a lot of people's personalities or even greatest qualities oftentimes are, in fact, coping me- mechanisms. I think that's probably explains so some of mine and Toby's performative nature and things like that. Right, Toby? Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. It's interesting that you grew up in that time and uh, especially being in Texas. We're from South Carolina in the South and seeing that I, I've talked to my family members, too. It, it's it's strange to me to think of, of going to school uh, separated and segregated. And that happened, you said your senior year. And then, uh, that's, and then your parents divorced. It, it, there was a lot of unrest. And then on top of that, your parents got divorced. And so that didn't throw you into a tailspin though. It did throw me into a tailspin my senior, senior year in high school. I mean, <clears throat> up until then, you know, I, I led, something akin to an idyllic life, if you will, in terms of uh, uh, home life and grandparents lived in the same town. Uh, And one uh, Saturday uh, afternoon, uh, when I finished playing golf, you know, this is old style, no cell phones, anything like this. So I walked into the pro shop and the assistant pro who I knew pretty well because I was there all the time. Uh, said, your dad called, and I want you to go by his office uh, on your way home. And, you know, I did that all the time. So I went by my dad's office, and uh, uh, out of the blue, he said, son, I'm leaving home tomorrow. Uh, And, yes, it threw me into an incredible tailspin. Uh, I I felt uh, uh, lost. It's one of those – before and after events. Uh, and it's been that way kind of all of my life. And I've had some, some other experiences like that, but it was kind of a, uh, a, a watershed point for me where, where things really changed, uh, from a happy life to, a uh, an ins insecure one i'll put it that way yeah a very serious girlfriend uh in high school i also went to to uh high school with my wife (laughs) uh and my girlfriend in high school was one of her best friends which is interesting uh my wife went to baylor as an undergraduate we started dating our sophomore year and uh in college and it, it, it's interesting that a lot of people that I know look back on their high school years as some of the best years of their lives. It seems to me in terms of having a good time, you know, having friends, uh, any number of things. Uh, for me, it was more that way uh, as a college student, but in a quieter way if you will. I kind of uh, uh, found myself in many ways through just 
burying myself in academics. Uh, yeah. It was an escape mechanism, but it turned out to be a good one. I didn't, I didn't decide to go to law school until I was 30 years old and we already had two kids and I had a very good job. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I was glad at that point that I'd buried myself into academics as an undergraduate uh, because I had a very high GPA, which, uh, you know, made it a close to a certainty that I wasn't going to have any trouble getting into law school. Mm-hmm. And if I'd had a different mentality at that time, I, I would have had a different life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, I, I relate to that story. My parents split up. It was probably, well, so it was basically my senior year, but my junior year, my mom left and said uh, that my nanny, my grandma was uh, sick and she needed to go take care of her and she never came back. And so I went the other way, Walt. I didn't go to into <laughs> academics. I Different I barely response. I failed. I, my senior year of high school, I failed four classes. So I was going to have to repeat. I mean, four classes. You have to. You that's not even. You can't even go to summer school. And I failed art because <laughs> I just didn't do it. I know that sounds crazy. I failed art, which was the elective. I failed English. I failed algebra two, and I failed biology. And uh, so what I did. Uh, and this is a, this is a tr- true story. I don't know if I've even talked about this on the podcast or not. I talked three teachers into passing me, but I could not talk that uh, <laughs> algebra two teacher into passing me. She did not like me because I was a class clown. So I ended up graduating in uh, summer school. And then uh, there was a girl that I wanted to follow down to Charleston, South Carolina. So uh, there was another college that they had low standards and they let me in. So I went to college, you know, started accruing the debt and all that stuff. And then I ended up at Winthrop University, followed, followed her again. She moved to another and met Matt. And then we started the <laughs> band and stuff like that. So it's funny. That's what it's uh, even reading your and your book is called The Daily Practice of Life, Practical, Practical Reflections Toward Meaningful Living. And I think that was always the thing for me that was uh, that word meaning and meaningful living. I couldn't find it. Like I felt it was hard for me to uh, put myself in academics because I felt like it was it. What was the meaning behind it? Not that I didn't think it was valuable necessarily, but how was I going to use it? Because my dad just, you know, worked at a warehouse and my mom didn't do much. And, and if, I was like, they went to school and my, they had okay grades and, you know, we had an all right life. They split up. They couldn't even save their marriage or anything. So I felt that meaning, I could not connect that. And so luckily I stumbled upon, and maybe maybe not even luckily, maybe spiritually God did this, but I ended up meeting Matt and Devin and a few other guys, and they liked music as much as me, and we tried it. And so the thing that bonded us, I think, there found meaning was a united uh, decision to pursue that at almost any cost. Like once we had that, and it seems like you must have, had the idea to the academics would lead you somewhere the same way as we thought music would lead us somewhere. I, I, it, it didn't start that way. I think it started more as an escape mechanism because it was something that uh, I realized I could, I could focus my attention on Mm -hmm. uh, completely. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then after some period of time, well, by my sophomore year, I'd fallen in love with it. Uh, I loved it. I, 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 uh, I majored in history. Uh, actually, when, when I started school, I was in a, a business honors program. 
uh, and I did well in it, uh, but I didn't like it. Uh, I liked history. Uh, and in particular, I wanted to study religion. And uh, oddly enough, even though uh, UT didn't have a religion degree at the time, uh, you could craft a religion degree uh, through history courses, through uh, the classics department, through taking, I took two years of Greek, I took Hebrew. Uh, at that time, there were what they called Bible chairs, and I found a uh, uh, a professor at one of the Bible chairs whose approach to studying the Bible uh, was revolutionary for me. Uh, it, 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 it really changed my, my view uh, as, a, as a Christian. I grew up, uh, you know, Southern Baptist uh, in East Texas. There were good things and bad things about that. Uh, I had a number of uh, uh, good role models in that church. I had some uh, Sunday school teachers who were serious students of the Bible. But in, but in terms of, of the, the church approach, it was basically every week uh, talking people in to walk in the aisle and parroting uh, a couple of sentences of belief and uh, that was kind of uh, the end point. Uh, I see things quite differently now. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I was at the University of Texas, uh, uh, I really fell in love with studying religion uh, and having more questions than answers, uh, paying attention to what I'd experienced in life and what that could teach me. Uh, about my faith, opening up to people in other faith traditions, trying to find common ground for un understanding the Bible uh, in a much different way uh, than I'd, I'd heard growing up. Yet, interestingly enough, in my family in Tyler, uh, my, my collective family, let's say, when you bring in grandparents and cousins and the like. We were about half Baptist, uh, and the other half was uh, Episcopalian and Catholic. So we had quite the mixture. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what you call diversity in East Texas, <laughs> <laughs> at least at that time. So, so you grew up like this. How'd you end up? So you went, uh, you said you got a pretty good job out of Baylor, but then you decided at 30 years old to become an attorney and you're an environmental attorney. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strange path for sure. I, I went, uh, I graduated from the university of Texas, I guess, December of my senior year and went to Baylor and did a master's degree in religion with the intention of, uh, uh, going to the East Coast to do a PhD in religion and teach religion in college. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. But more important to me, my, my, when my wife graduated after my, my, my first uh, uh, semester in my master's program, we weren't married yet, but we've been dating for a couple of years. Uh, we, we got married the day after she graduated. Uh, she taught elementary school uh, near uh, Waco, where Baylor is. I finished my master's degree, 
started my PhD with a full ride there. Uh, was that but, when David Koresh happened? Were you were y'all living there then? Well, that's uh, my, my wife taught uh, in a small community called Hallsburg, and I don't remember how close the Koresh group was, but it wasn't far away. Wow, it wasn't far away. Uh, I, I was a yeah. I was in. I did my masters in like seventy eight and seventy nine started my PhD in 80. And then we, we decided that we were ready to start a family. And I decided that was more important to me. Uh, for, for one thing, I thought realistically, uh, you know, the program at Baylor was, was great, but what was I going to do with a PhD in religion from Baylor uh, in terms of teaching religion in college? My, my options would have been quite limited. Uh, and I really prioritized my family. Uh, one one reaction I had to, to my parents divorcing uh, was that uh, that wasn't going to happen in my case. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, family is as important as school was to me, is as important as my uh, ambition uh, to be a religion professional professor was, my family was more important. Uh, so, uh, I became an insurance adjuster <laughs> of all, of all things. And that was just happenstance. I mean, it was through people that I knew, uh, it was, uh, a good job. I did that for seven years or so. Uh, I remember before that happened, uh, when I started my PhD program, I remember my wife saying, honey, you ever thought about going to law school? And I remember telling her, I would rather drive a garbage truck than go to law school. Anything but go to law school. I, I should have known then when I said that, that I would be a lawyer one day. Right. So uh, as an insurance adjuster, I worked a lot with lawyers and decided they weren't any smarter than I was and that, uh, that, you know, my, my view of lawyers was uh, a little different than the way some people think of lawyers. Uh, I always had a very, uh, high regard for lawyers. And when I started law school, I started with the, with the intention of coming out, uh, and using my insurance experience to jump the fence and help people. Uh, but became very substantively interested in environmental law. I loved it. Uh, it was challenging. It was of contemporary relevance. Uh, when I took a summer off and clerked, I did environmental uh, law-related research pros projects uh, and decided that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I had an opportunity right out of law school to go to work for a big law firm in an environmental group. Uh, did that great training. Also had the opportunity to start teaching a year out of law school, which was going to be a temporary thing because the environmental law professor left unexpectedly. And they called me and said, can you please come teach this once? Because I had expressed an interest in it. And here I am 30 years later, uh, <laughs> part-time professor, but I treat it full-time. I don't practice much anymore. Uh, Love what I do. 
over all these years, though, I have uh, continued to immerse myself in uh, faith-related education and in, in, in leading discussion groups, both intra-faith and for a few years interfaith. Uh, and my writing interests changed about 12 years or so ago from uh, legal to uh, faith and I call it faith and life quality related because to me they're close to one and the same quality of life related stuff is that something that you you know the if you care about the spiritual stuff in life and you care about the environment in life and then it seems like you have a really good uh focus or grip on one's internal life also so it it does seem that the common theme of all these things that you've been involved in and talk about is a very human interest and to the point where you said like you said you wanted to cross over and help people this way and that way have you calculated that this type of teaching and writing that you do now is really geared at helping people's directly their quality of life. It seems that's what, what I take from, it seems like what stuff you're up to. That's a very good question. And uh, it it progressively worked that way. Uh, The, the I've written now, I think 51 uh, Austin American Statesman, faith-related uh, articles. Uh, every Saturday they have a, what they call a, a, a faith page. And historically they were staff writers, but then it transitioned to where there were contributing editors. Uh, I sent one in in 2009 kind of on a lark, and it had to do about reflecting about my father after he died and some things I learned about him at his service. Uh, And when I sent it in, I didn't know if they'd, you know, laugh and say, you know, this doesn't work. (laughs) Uh, Fortunately, they said, you know, we'd we'd like to publish it. Uh, Please send us more. And then, you know, within a year or two, I started hearing from people I didn't know saying, please keep writing. Uh, you speak to me. Uh, so I, I kept it up. Uh, and the, the, the things that, that, that I write about, uh, are kind of a combination of autobiographic. Uh, I draw a lot on my experiences uh, they key into uh, many of the things I've studied about the the Bible, uh, and I, I guess in a, in, a, in a nutshell, faith to me isn't uh, relevant unless it has an impact on how we live. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, and and excellent. I, you know, I, I grew up hearing, and I still hear people describe Christians as believers you know he's a believer she's a believer this and that uh i i prefer the word follower Mm. uh i i I see i i think of of jesus uh 
as a Jewish rabbi at a point in time uh, who for Christians uh, is a role model in the way he lived uh, and in what he taught. Uh, I think uh, Jesus is eminently Jewish and it's difficult to understand him uh, without trying to learn something about uh, his faith and, and his tradition. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, while I personally, as a, as a Christian, think of Jesus as uh, a human being uh, and as uh, uh, God's son in a very special way, uh, I, I think that there's a danger in uh, deifying Jesus to the point that we dehumanize him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that that it's, in fact, I think I, I grew up being immersed more in the worship of Jesus as God than in the appreciation that what being Christian should mean is how we live our lives uh, in terms of, of being compassionate and being humble, uh, being gentle, uh, uh, being champions of what what the Bible simply calls justice, but in our time is called social justice. Uh, I, I think being a Christian means how we actively live and treat people, not what we talk about all the time or claim to believe, but but our you know what we see politically sometimes that passes as Christian makes me ill. Um, It seems that uh, all the stuff that you're talking about there, when you talk about to live it, I've heard that line a bunch of times from people. And it's like, it's really about how you live, but even still they're often talking very externally. They're like how you live or how you appear to live is what they, even when they talk the way you talk, I find people often mean that. But what I get from you is that you, which feels very different. Um, is that you seem to uh, base it on the, all of that living and following is is an inward uh, and it sources from an inward condition that you cultivate through discipline and yes. things like that. That's the that's the part that is just totally different than when anything else I encounter on spiritual teachings, like what you ought to do and how you come across and what you appear and what you do to people. But you're saying the source of this is something similar and related to that that you found your way into by becoming maybe obsessive about academics. But it's something about the discipline and the subjective experience involved in how you cultivate your inward self that then precipitates all those other things. I get that strong sense from you, and I even get a very Eastern sense about it because it really seems like it comes from a place of meditation and routine and practice and and stuff that starts to sound pretty far off from Southern Baptist or what people think of a golfer from Baylor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's – I I hope it comes off that way. I I really really do because uh, – 
one of my favorite authors is uh, uh, Thich Nhat Han, uh, and, and you know that's that's probably the uh, East Texas pronunciation. Mm-hmm. So sure. forgive me there. Uh, he was a Vietnamese uh, Buddhist uh, monk uh, who was a peace advocate. Uh, he was nominated by Martin Luther King Jr. for the Nobel Peace Prize. He's a prolific uh, Zen Buddhist writer. One of his books that has heavily influenced me is called Living Buddha, Living Christ. And the entire book is based on parallels between Buddhism and Christianity. Uh, I, I think... I think Jesus was one of the most inclusive people that ever lived. And I think it's unfortunate that some today use Jesus to exclude others. Uh, I, I, I think the world needs a heavy dose of uh, people that differ from one another uh, from a faith perspective, from a political perspective, racially, in any way, I think we need a heavy dose of finding common ground and learning from our differences. And some of the things I write about in the book, uh, two chapters in particular uh, that, that, I, that I think of, one is called uh, uh, all God's children, uh, and the other is about an organization that started in World War II called Church Women United. Uh, the All God's Children chapter starts with an anecdote about our five grandchildren. Two of our five grandchildren are African American. Uh, they're adopted. Uh, I remember when uh, the youngest, uh, Chuck came into our family, both came into our family uh, as, as babies, uh, our, our daughter's children. Our, our son's oldest boy, uh, I, I remember as a child, uh, and talk about in this chapter of the book, uh, looking at Chuck's face and looking down his shirt and, and just uh, simply asking the question, curiously, is he that color all over? And we know. said, yes, he is. Uh, and his response was, cool, let's go play. Mm-hmm. Let's go play. And then I recount an experience I had in that chapter when I was at the University of Texas. I came back to Tyler two summers and worked on a crew at Lake Tyler for a big corporation that had uh, five different properties out there for their employees. And I was uh, one of a crew of five, and I was the only white guy. So for, for, for two summers of my life, when I was ages 19 and 20, uh, I was the one white guy on an all-black crew uh, working every day uh, for two summers together. That taught me a lot. In, in high school, I was afraid of black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I didn't dislike them. I, I didn't really know any. But uh, our high school, Robert E. Lee High School, the Rebels, school yeah. song was Dixie. Wow. I mean, what a terrible mix. Right. My sophomore year, 1970, uh, Tyler closed an all-black high school. Uh, and Robert E. Lee overnight became about half white and half black. What that meant was we went to high school with uh, essentially riots, police patrol campuses, uh, and both black and white, uh, I'll call them extremists, because I think they both were coming to campus to fight. Mm -hmm. uh, I was afraid to go to the bathroom. So you spring forward a couple of years at the University of Texas, and all of a sudden I'm the one white guy on an all-black crew. Three of them are adults, and the other is my age. I, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes to think back to those days become, from that first day of work. They, they treated me as their brother, mm -hmm. and it, it taught me. Uh, and, and I'm a big believer in that one of the most underrated aspects of any faith, any religious faith, is what we learn through experience. Mm -hmm. And what I learned through experience was that their culture was different and I had a lot to learn from it. They had different backgrounds that I learned to appreciate. They were nothing but kind to me. Some of the work we did was kind of dangerous. I mean, not real dangerous, but, you know, we we're on ladders and painting boathouses, all kinds of things. We looked out for each other, uh, and, and we became uh, friends to the point that my boss came to my wedding. And one of my greatest memories of life is when he hugged me at the wedding reception. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just sent chills down my spine. Uh, and I, I am saddened by the violent extremes in our country. Uh, the other chapter, Church Women United, if, if, if you don't mind, I want to make sure I get their, their memo correct. Uh, my connection with this group, I'd never even heard of them, but they read one of four or five articles I've written on uh, what I call biblical justice. I don't, I tend to shy away from social justice because a lot of people hear social and all they hear, hear is socialists, so they stop listening. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, their motto is agreed to differ, resolved to love, united to serve. And they started in the 40s to bring black and white women Christian to get Christians together to find common service projects. The day I spoke with them was at a church in Austin, and, I, and, they, and they asked me to speak about Amos. I'd written an article about the book of Amos and uh, what it had to do with uh, what we currently call social justice and how he was a, a victim as an alien. Mm -hmm. 
of social injustice. I'll never forget walking up to that pulpit and looking out on an audience of about a hundred, all women. And they were half black and half white. And they were mixed together. You know, one group wasn't in the, the other in the back or one on one side and one on the other. And uh, the service was World Ecumenical Day. Uh, and these fine women took turns reading the golden rule from different religions and cultures. Uh, and it was a cold day and their service project was to collect blankets for the homeless. And it seems to me that that an important way for people to try and unite that are that are different is to find something they can do together to help someone else. And then their differences of opinion, it seems to me, don't matter as much as opposed to starting off with the differences and trying to convince someone else that you are correct. It seems to me the only thing that is correct is reaching out to others who, in, who are in need. I think that's what Jesus did. I think that's at the root of every authentic faith tradition. And I wish we could learn better in this country right now uh, how to amplify things that we have in common and how to learn from ways we differ instead of starting with the differences to be judgmental and exclusive. Well, we have a big taste for that at the moment. And, you know, I think with people having anxiety and fear for many legitimate reasons, it causes them to, you know, engage in plenty of behaviors that are, it's weird because everybody's isolated, but I don't know that they're getting solitude. It's like everybody's isolated and then focused on some other person as a way to avoid, you know, something that seems super important to me about getting solitude or uh, looking at yourself and getting those kinds of experiences seem to undergird it. And it's so easy. And for instance, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was in that mode where I felt like everything was happening externally and it wasn't coming for me. I was just responding to this world and I need to know what was going on and who was good and was bad and all that. And that is so far off from a place of in, inner calmness or serenity to even begin to do the other things that you're talking about. So I'm kind of fascinated uh, still to that love of discipline and the cultivation of that because it's very new for me. It's only been in this last year and a half, and even re reasonably in the last few months, where I've been, where Toby and I've begun to cult cultivate that kind of a thing that you talk about and talk about that Jesus had, which is the routine and the, that that borders into that that Eastern stuff. So I'm kind of fascinated how you see that. Um, being connected to everything and what how you think about Jesus and his routine and what his practices would have been right and, and, and I'm 
I'm obviously reading something into that. Those those verses from from Mark uh, and Mark is my favorite gospel because it's just it's just right to the point. Uh, but what what the author records toward the end of the first chapter uh, about Jesus getting up really early in the morning and going out to a place of solitude uh, for what I consider prayerful meditation. Uh, and then those in his inner circle uh, hunting for him, but I think they probably knew where to find him. Because what I read into that is probably something he needed to do every day to get his mind right and to get his, his focus right. And when they found him, he essentially said it's time to go to work. And what, what got me so interested initially in a daily routine is I realized what a poor job of living I would do each day. I realized how distracted I was. I realized how I thought about so many different things at the same time that I was always trying to finish something to get to the next thing on my list but I was seldom, if ever, focused. And so it occurred to me that the, I mean, if, if Jesus needed to do this, I certainly stood no chance of, of having a focused, qualitative day where I really paid attention to the people and things around me or even the work task, whatever it might be. And, and that's how that's how it started for me. Uh, and it's not, you know, it, it when it feels like it turns into a ritual, then I change it up. Can you give me an example of that? Like what's a ritual that would form there? Well, like, you know, when I get up and feel like I need to do the same thing that I've been doing the last morning for the last month you know, read one chapter of the Bible and then, you know, pray and then do this, this or that. Uh, at, at a point, it gets where I'm just going through the motions as opposed to thinking about what do I need to do and change to get the result that I want. And the result that I want is giving myself an opportunity to live a day that's focused and in line with my priorities. And another thing I've started trying to do is uh, uh, come up with reminders because inevitably, I mean, I've, I've never lived a day of my life <laughs> when I've been completely mindful. Yeah. Uh, my batting average has gone up, <laughs> but, uh, so I, I, I try to have, sometimes it's just a word. I'll decide today I'm going, whenever I sense that I'm losing my way, I'm going to think 
about compassion or I'm going to think about patience or being gentle or looking outside a window instead of into a mirror, some kind of image I can carry with me through the day. That, that's become more recently part of the routine. Uh, you know, listening, listening to people. Uh, and, and listening includes not only hearing their words, but just paying attention to them. I think that's too, what I was going to say is it, that feels so basic, but it is really hard to do those things. Like, I think that's why people end up avoiding them. I think that's why it's, it's easy to not go like, like you just said, I, I, I work with men. I do these things called true man events. And one of the things I've realized is men have to be pretty diligent sometimes thinking about being gentle. Like that, that really is something like it, 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 a man. And and I mean, of course, women cannot be gentle as well. It can be rough around the edges just as much. But when I'm working with, when I'm working with them, with these, these men, I often find that we, we want to do something for our ego to make sure we feel successful or that we, we did get a lot of stuff done and we missed some of those opportunities to listen to observe the situation, take a step back, and because those things don't feel as successful. If you're sitting there listening quietly, you don't feel like you're being very active. You know what I mean? You're not. You don't feel like you're uh, contributing and and doing the thing. And and oftentimes, I know I feel this way that I need to jump in so I can look like I did the work or I did something. And oftentimes, I miss so much valuable information, so much learning, so much growth. Like you're saying, uh, it, it's hard for me. Like we've been doing this health challenge, and even with meditation. I can't even hardly get through 10 minutes of meditation without my mind everywhere. And you're right. The one thing that has been helping me is there'll be just some little mini, you know, a mini version of, of the meditation or word. It's like a word that I'll just go, wait, your breath, focus back in on your breath. Just something yeah. simple, you know, that like, right. hold on, you're breathing. Right. And then I come back and I'm trying to, you know, do the, do the thing. So I think some of it too, is it just feels like the, routines and bringing yourself back feels elementary. Like uh, you can do more than that, but I think we've kind of missed that point that some of the simple stuff like Jesus, I'm going to get up early and go pray. And then, like you said, something that's really valuable to me. I was always told, read your Bible. You got to read, read your Bible every day, read your Bible every day. So much so that I did it, that I started hating the Bible. Cause I was like, well, I'm just reading it. Like I, no one gave me that, that idea of wait, this is just a ritual. Now you're not actually doing it for any other reason than to say you read the Bible, but th- there God is in your day because you think something magic is conveyed. That's the that's the, right. the big difference in the train of thought on this conversation so far is that I'm not disparaging anybody else or groups of people, but it is common for people to use religion, Bible, spirituality, Jesus Christ, the Book of Amos and Mark uh, to. To, as uh, silver bullets or magic pills or magical thinking sure. or ways out of or escapes from or sp- solutions yeah. to these very active. If you do this, then this. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's not what, that's not really what we're talking about here so much. It's, um, but then it starts to get, again, then it starts to get more vague. You say these things that sound very basic, like listening, waiting, compassion. But you skipped them. You've you've skipped them your whole life. Right. You had to I really, have. you know, like it's easy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listening. I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Listening. I right. listen. Okay. When are we going to get it done? When's the results coming? 
is the is the that's what has always flooded my Christianity with was that type of thinking. And so now if I'm because we've been through uh Walt basically this large and even public deconstruction. But as I look at the project of reconstruction, all this Eastern stuff and the noticing and words like attention all of a sudden just like completely captivate me. And I'm like, this is all the stupid, basic stuff that I've always resisted, missed intentionally. And of course, I mean, I've always resisted discipline. I've been so proud of the fact that I ain't got no discipline and I'm still here. That's I've always been proud of that. But now when I hear these practices and this slowing down, I didn't know there was real content there. I really didn't 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 know that. And and I hear yeah. it coming through in, in Walt's words a, a good bit. But sometimes it sounds non sensational to, to speak of is the problem right. of that kind of thing. Yeah, and I've i basically the, the the things that I write about are things that I really need help with. And and I agree with 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 you both so very much. The the concepts are so simple, but in practice they are so difficult. And uh, uh, when I was fortunate fortunate enough to uh, have a traditional publisher pick up my book <clears throat> as best I could. Uh, I tried to stay insistent on the title because I really do see Christianity uh, and any other authentic faith tradition uh, as as a a practice, uh, a a discipline uh, that is not complex. But it is very, very hard work. Uh, also, the, the picture on the front of my book means a lot to me. Let's make uh, sure we have said the title was, really clearly here, if you can, in case people have missed that or we've not set it up properly. But the daily practice of life, practical reflections toward meaningful living. Right, yep. right. The daily practice of life was what I started with. Mm-hmm. And the publisher said you need a subtitle. Uh, so I thought a few days and I suggested this because I thought that was a good description of what's in the book. Practical <laughs> reflections toward meaningful uh, living. Uh, and I remember sending an email to the publisher and they were great to work with. Within 15 minutes, I had a response and he said, that's perfect. Uh I like the picture on the front. I love the picture on the front uh, for two reasons, Uh, at least two reasons, I should say. First, I took the picture, uh, so it didn't cost me anything to use it. That's (laughs) That's always good. good. Uh, But I I remember the morning that I took it, uh, I came around a corner on a trail run. I'm a longtime runner. Uh, and discovered trail running kind of late in my life. And some of the things I write in the book uh, compare uh, trail running to uh, how we should live. And on the the cover of the book, uh, there's a, a single track trail 
meaning there's only room for one person to run or walk on it. It meanders through the woods. There are rocks and roots and all other kinds of obstacles. So to successfully run without face planting, you have to be focused on the moment. You have to pay attention to every step. The past is relevant because it informs, you've learned from it, and it informs what you're doing now. Uh, and the, you think about what's ahead, but if you completely immerse yourself in the future, you lose contact with the present, and you're going to fall down. Mm-hmm. Yet I found in trail running, even when you're focusing on every step, you can still uh, fall down or get off the path and have to work at getting back. Another thing about the picture is I took it uh, at daybreak. So the sun is coming up and you can see the light through the trees. And another thing the picture means to me is the more I work at living my life this way each day with intentionality, uh, trying to reflect the things that I think Jesus was all about, uh, the more light will come into my life. Uh, So when I look at the cover of the book, I see everything that's inside of it because it that's kind of in a nutshell what it what it represents to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess a couple of things I could add to that was would be that I've learned a lot of things from other trail runners that are a lot more proficient than I am uh, uh, and may have different approaches to things that that certainly fit fits in. Uh, I like the solitude uh, uh, of it, uh, and I like that it's outside. It's in nature. It's open. Like, I need to be open. I need to be open to other ideas. I want, you know, I want to be more than open to Eastern thought. Someone else who's had a tremendous influence on me is Thomas Merton, a prolific, you know, Catholic writer who embraced uh, Eastern uh, religion. Uh, I've learned a lot from reading and thinking about uh, Thomas Merton. Uh, Thomas Merton called uh, the Vietnamese monk that I mentioned his brother, uh, his brother. Uh, And I, I remember thinking about that and thinking, you know, that's right. That's right. I I remember the, uh, I can't, recall exactly where it is, but, but y'all may recall as well the story about Jesus's followers coming to him and saying, hey, we saw some people casting out demons, which in that day and time, I think, just meant uh, helping people heal from uh, psychological problems and other things. We saw some people doing, doing that, but they weren't using your name, so we told them to stop. And Jesus's response was, why did you stop them? Why did you stop them? 
Right. They're doing something good. They're doing something good. Uh, I, I, and going back to the Bible for a minute, my view of the Bible's changed so much. When I was uh, in junior high and high school, if someone asked me what my favorite book was, I'd have said the Bible. Uh, and part of that would be because that would, I would think that's probably what I should say. Uh, when, when I, someone asked me that now, I never say the Bible because I don't think the Bible's a book. I think it's a collection of books from over a broad expanse of time, and they're very different. And if we don't consider the context of what we're looking at, it's difficult to understand it. So I've come to the point where I, 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 I'm a big believer in digging for the context of certain scriptures, but I'm also a big believer in looking for common themes. It doesn't trouble me that there are differences in perspectives on God throughout the Bible. I don't see how that could be avoided. That doesn't trouble me at all. But, but I look for themes. Uh, and, you know, you can go back to the, uh, the book of Leviticus. My goodness, how old is that? Thousands of years old. But in the 19th chapter, uh, we're, we're told that uh, people should leave th some things they have for the poor. They shouldn't oppress the needy. They should love their neighbor as themselves. But one verse in that chapter that's seldom mentioned is it also says you should love the alien as yourself. And the alien to me means anybody that's different, yeah. anybody that's different. I, I, I guess that doesn't play very well politically these days. <laughs> I guess it, that depends on uh, where one is politically. But uh, that's a common theme of the Bible as well. And part of that is seeking justice that is equal treatment and being fair with, with people that don't have uh, as many opportunities uh, as others do because they're impoverished, because they're oppressed, or for for other reasons. Uh, Walt, Walt, this has been great. I, I mean, I have really enjoyed this. I, I really appreciate too your analogy of the uh, the trail running because the trail can be dangerous, or you know, you could get hurt. It it, it could even look scary. It can look exhausting. You like you can see a trail and go, ah, it's not worth it. But there's nothing inherently bad about that trail. And in fact, the trail is waiting for you to figure out how to walk it, how to run it, how to go, how to accomplish something. And I think that we don't look at people like that. We, we look at people as, ah, oh, they're scary. I'm done with it. Oh, they're, they're going to ask me for money or they'll probably just use it on booze or uh, I, they look different than me. Or they, like the whole idea there is you're headed this way and things can work together. It's not like running and the trail are intertwined in a way. It's not that you just accomplish something. It's that you were figuring out the way to do it the same way as uh, like uh, listening. Like when you were saying listening earlier, I can really listen when I want something or need something. It's very easy for me to listen to my wife when I'm thinking about food or sex or, or I wanted some attention or I want you know, something like that. I, boy, I'm all ears. But when it, when it's like, I need to appreciate this human 
and be like like you said, Jesus was human, and we miss that aspect so much. A lot of our Christianity doesn't seem like it's based in our humanity anymore. It's based in, like you said, a belief system that we'll get out of here, or maybe everybody will be saved, and all this. As opposed to, wait a minute, I am present in this moment with with someone, and I do need to give them my time. I do need to give them, share my humanity with them, and treat them as humans. And I think all that is so valuable uh, that we miss out on today, especially with social media and with politics and with everything. We don't have any kind of unified goals. We have, we're all split. We can't get together. I believe deep down inside, most people do want to help the needy, but we're so split on how to do it, and we're told that we have to be split that we can't find a, that unifying thing that I, I, I think that's what Jesus, a lot of his message was, like you said. That, that, wait, they're trying to help people, and you're trying to stop them? What do you wait? Right. Hold on, they they just not doing it your way, the the way you think. You know, like maybe maybe it's a good way. Like before you stop somebody, maybe figure out where that trail you're running. Like, well, it, it looks scary, it looks different, but you might can do it if you just give it that opportunity. Yeah, I think chance. the commonality in, in everything is that we that, that Jesus had as well is everything he did. You know, it was often very difficult but simple things, but they were hard. They're hard to do. Yeah, you know, so the ability to do hard things and know who you are—it uh, seems as if the whole deal is like that trail running and everything. It's to be present. You have to be present to encounter more reality, basically. To get to right. to yeah. try to come more into contact with reality requires doing mindful and difficult. I, I guess I—that's I the layer I didn't have before—is. You have to be able to do difficult things like trail run or focus or mind your own thoughts. You know, they're 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 difficult things to do. Right, and that's uh, t- to me that's part of salvation. It's not something we're waiting on. It's it's something that should be going on right now. Uh, it's 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 a process to me, and it's about how we a how process. we live. Yeah, for sh- for sure. Well, this has been great, Walt. We really do appreciate your time. I just it's got me thinking all kinds of thoughts, like the idea even of uh when when <laughs> when you were talking, I was just thinking about Jesus gave up perfection and just be- and became human, and so it, it you know his knees hurt after a long day of work. He's getting older. Yeah. He would have he would have died without the, with the cross. Eventually, he would have gotten became old and died, and he, and we are obsessed now with getting perfection. As opposed to Jesus, says, the perfection thing didn't. It, it, look, I'm coming here to show you what's really the the perfection thing is us here in this moment now, loving yeah. each other, forgiving each other, realizing that we are. This is what is this moment right now. Don't miss this moment, you know. And so I think that's really powerful. Uh, Walt, like I said, Walt Shelton, the P- daily practice of life, practical reflections toward meaningful living, and that book is out now. And uh, they can go to waltshelton.com as well, right? That's right. They can go to waltshelton.com and there's a there's a box you'll see called their dimensions to the website, but there's a box that'll pop up. It says order the book and if you click on it, it'll take you to an icon of the book uh, with five different sources, you know, Amazon's one. Awesome. Uh, there's a local bookstore in Austin called Black Pearl Books that uh, uh, is uh, uh, owned by an African American uh, mom and her children. Uh, it, it takes a little longer to get a book uh, from that source, but uh, 
Uh, we like what they stand for. So there are various ways you can get the book. Uh, you can also through the website uh, uh, preview the book. You can read the first few chapters if you'd like. If you'd like to. Awesome. I, I appreciate so much y'all having me on. When I uh, 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 learned of the possibility, uh, I, I, I investigated your website <laughs> and I listened to three or four of your podcasts, and I thought. I would love to talk to those guys. Uh, and and I, I really like your perspective on things. And uh, I appreciate uh, the work you're doing. That it's, means a uh, lot. It's, it's fun to talk with you. It's fun to listen to your podcasts, but they are also loaded with substance. So thank what a, you. What a compliment. That's, that, that's, that really you don't know how many uh, potential guests we've lost by them undergoing that same process of right. investigating our content. So, so we're glad we got you. Oh, man. I thought it, I thought it was fan- – it's real. It's real. Uh, and and uh, uh, anyway, thank you. Thank well, you thank you, Walt. Me. We appreciate it. We, uh, our band, we tore through uh, Austin, when it, not now with COVID and everything, but maybe in the future we can get you out to a hard rock show. I'd love to meet you in person. That'd be great. Austin's a wonderful place. Oh well, yeah, it really. We'll play, if we have time, I'd play golf with you too. Yeah, that's right. I That'd would be too. Great. That'd be great. Okay, well, I'm sorry to have to blast you with such intense music after such a calm guest like Walt, but I'm not really sorry because it's a nice change of pace, and of course, Fit for a King is a great band uh, to do that with. It's it's not just noise. It's this very calculated, very well-made, very well-crafted, noisy, aggressive, heavy music. It's become really, really popular. Uh, it's a, one of the breakout artists that, that Tooth & Nails had that's... Um, Everybody's really thrilled about the tons of stuff going on for them. This song, they, uh, I'm sorry, this, yeah, this song is called The Path. It's a new song from their new album. The album is also called The Path. And it's Fit for a King's sixth studio album and is now out and available everywhere. They got tons of vinyl, tons of other merch available at fitforaking.com. So make sure to grab it while it lasts and be sure to just follow their account on Spotify. That's about all you can do for artists these days. Just Follow them on Spotify, see what they're doing, pay attention, and fit for a king. They've got news over there about what shows they'll be doing, merch, if they, you know, whatever their plans are, they'll be updating it over there. Again, the path is available everywhere, so go dig it.
All right, Walt Shelton, y'all go get his book. I just, I there's something about uh, okay, it is true. Like uh, Southern accent just gets me. I feel uh, I just grew up around it. I just get it. I just I know some of the stuff he's saying and thinking and and his experience and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then it felt just like a, a nice Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and just I, he's just really genuine. I mean, yeah. that is who he is. So that's what it's super valuable when you like. Going back to even the true man, uh, talking me talking about working true man. So many men I know did not have an open minded, older gentleman, older man in their life, just to actually listen or say, "Hey, this is where I've changed, and this is where things got me." I mean, men. How have about open minded as a concept of something to model? Because the better a man is, right? Often it's because he knows exactly what. Is and then you right. you have this role model that knew everything, and it's true that he knew everything, but he wasn't open minded because he didn't need and to you be. Can't live he up knew to everything, right. so you that's no good modeling it. for me because I don't know everything. So right. I need to see somebody who doesn't act like they know or even know everything. And when you hear somebody like Walt talk, that inspires this deep trust in me as a yeah. listener because it's the intentional nature of that speech that yeah. I am cluing into. Going, I trust this. Yeah, and I'm lit, and I, it causes me to listen, even if the speech is simpler versus flashy, well, also, and fast, and not, persuasive, it, it, and stuff like yeah. that. And it's not preachy. That's right. the thing that, that that's the thing that I, it, everybody's trying to preach to you these days. Everybody called on pretty quickly that you, if you can get that pulpit of Facebook or something, you can, you know, you might can start telling people what to do. And this persuasion is, just, is the, like, is the yeah, key but Walt's telling you about his experience and. Definitely, there's a there's a a view there of he doesn't have it all worked out and he wants to and he wants to learn from other people and give other people a shot and I just I really appreciate that so uh, that uh, was really good I didn't I didn't know what to expect and I I really enjoyed that so. that's like a it fits in this category too you know he's southern he's the age of our dads and I thought that was yeah. interesting um, that my dad went to a high school that integrated while he was in high school also. The Rebels is <laughs> their mascot. Is you know crazy? James F. Burns High School, the same as right. Robert, e. and they had the Running Rebel as, as Robert yeah. E. Lee. It's a character of Robert E. Lee, the Rebel. That's right. the mascot, and they integrated the same. It would have been the same year, time, everything right. that you know, right there. But my dad isn't like him. <laughs> not it had nothing to do with race or anything. My dad, not that in that way, but I mean in the mindful right. space, my dad is not like Walt right. exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah, my dad, my um, father is way. not either. Uh, got caught up in some things. That's what I'm saying. It, I am learning the value of stopping and looking at the thing as helping you actually get something accomplished. That has been. I always have always thought, just get it done. Yeah, and then you'll have it done. It done yeah. Yeah. Right, but then it, it that can only happen so many times until it is routine or it is ritual, and then it's not done as well. Like I can, I can get that way with songwriting. I can write a song so quickly. But I, it becomes just a ritual to where I'm like, wait a minute, I got to think about this for a minute. Why did I say that? There's some songs, and I'm not going to say which ones. Uh, maybe <laughs> one day I will. There's some songs that I wrote for Emory, and I was like, I wish I could go back and think a little bit more about those lyrics. They make sense, and I know they mean a lot to people, but I could have I done something more. I was trying to get it done, which I needed to. You need to get stuff done. You have to do all that, but but you have to take time to figure out why you're doing it. What is the purpose there? And then uh, refocus. That that's the thing. Like I, I 
I, How would I'm you looking like at the to big know picture. your favorite song was made by somebody going, I'll just shit this out. But, <laughs> I didn't but shit it you out. Find out but, after the fact, it's like, oh, I just, right. I just, threw, well, I don't know, whatever popped in my head, I didn't really care. I was, I was hung over. But anyway, it's my favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that, but I, I would like to have some of those lyrics back, maybe. All right, if you're not in the BC Club, join the BC Club. There's so much going on. I can't, I mean, it's more than I can even say. There's BC stories where, uh, clubbers are getting interviewed. We got extra episodes that come out Monday and Friday. Uh, we got some stuff in the works in the future. We might, you know, we do the BC Con when that starts happening again. When this COVID goes away, there's gonna be a huge BC Con celebration probably. Uh, there's a lot going on. Um, so if you like what you hear, if you enjoy this podcast, just help us. We we would appreciate it. You can go to where do they go to sign up for the BC Club? The BC Club dot com. It's so easy to remember that. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm gonna go uh, listen to my wife because I want to. I want. I don't want anything out of it. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna get off this podcast. I'm going to go listen to her. And I don't know what I'm going to go do, but I am going to be present and pay attention to that shit. Yes, you are. All right. I'm proud of you, Matt. So much for Christmas this year. You're gone and I'm still sitting right here wondering whatever went wrong with us my dear I can't find a reason for Christmas this year I remember Winter 1985 Walking hand in hand Looking at Christmas lights I stopped to tie my shoe I said, darling, will you be my wife For the rest of your life So much for Christmas this year So much for Christmas this year you're gone and I'm still sitting right here Wondering whatever went wrong with us, my dear I can't find a reason for Christmas this year Stockings on the fireplace No arms to hold me for a warm embrace So I stoke up the fire To warm my tired body by the flame And daydream again I still know what it felt like to be Christmas this year. You're gone and I'm still 
for Christmas this year. 